From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Well, we made it. We made it to the end of tax season. I hope you all filed your return by the deadline, May 1st. If you owed money to the CRA, you're going to have a big penalty to pay on the money that you do owe. So I really hope that you did get it in. Most Canadians did get their return in on time. The latest numbers show that more than 31 million returns have already been processed. Of them, 10 million Canadians are getting a tax refund. And now stay with me with these numbers. Those refunds on average, $1,900. So a lot of uh, Canadians getting that money in their, their bank account, wondering what they're going to do with it. And we are going to be speaking to a financial advisor later in the program about what you should be doing with your tax refund. Because a lot of us see it as free money, uh, money that we didn't expect, a windfall, lottery win. It just feels good, right, to all of a sudden get this big chunk of change into your bank account. But it's, as you know, tax that you overpaid to the government that they're now giving back to you without any interest. It's money that you could have paid in the summer of 2022. They've been hanging on to this money for more than a year, and now you're getting it back because you overpaid. And there are things that you should and shouldn't be doing with that money. And it's not just going to be the same boring advice to just put it back into your RRSP. There are still other financially responsible things that you can do with that money uh, that's just going to make your financial situation better. We're also watching another story come out of the United States and the impact it may have on us in Canada. Another medium-sized bank, First Republic Bank, has collapsed just the the same way that Silicon Valley Bank failed uh, last month. It is uh, now, this is now three failures of banks in just two months. And there's only been four bank failures in U.S. history. So three of them have happened in just the last two months. And so this is raising a lot of concern about uh, the security in the banking system in the United States, what effect it could have here in Canada, what contagion Contagion meaning, you know, sometimes we react because we hear stories about something. It may not even actually be uh, something that's a reality here in the Canadian banking system, but we as customers start acting in a certain way because we think that the same thing could happen here. And a new survey shows that that is actually uh, what is on top of many Canadians' minds. 56% of Canadians are concerned about the banking system and how vulnerable it is to collapse. There has been no indication that any bank here in Canada is suffering. It could be insolvent. There could be a run of the banks. There's no indication of that. There has been a story in the news about TD Bank, uh, Canada's one of Canada's biggest banks, being the most shorted bank in the world right now for a number of reasons. But that is really connected to its connection to these banks in the United States. TD Bank has a huge presence in the US, and that is concerning some of its investors. But still no concern about whether if you go to the ATM, if you could get money out, if you want to make a payment on your mortgage, that someone won't be there for you, for them to accept that payment. All of those things are still going to happen. Uh, there's no issue with any of the Canadian banks. But this new survey is showing that many Canadians are worried about our own banking system. This was done by Wealth Rocket, and it also finds 28% of Canadians are somewhat worried about the safety. So a third of us are, you know, kind of worried, whereas 56% of us are really worried. And 22% of us, get this, 
have withdrawn money from their bank accounts in the last 30 days to protect themselves from potential financial crisis. So that is a pretty uh, interesting bit of information because it does show that the, the stories coming out of the U.S. do have a big impact on Canadians, even if there is no truth in the fact that anything is happening here in Canada. Uh, a lot of people just feeling worried. Um, cost of living is higher. Interest rates are higher. We're all worried about paying our bills. And now we're concerned uh, about the, the strength of our banking system. And some Canadians are deciding to actually take a little bit of money out and sit on that cash uh, just so that they can feel more secure about it. Uh, we have a great show for you. We're going to talk about what you can do uh, with your tax refund if you are getting one. And we're also going to talk uh, to a mother who took a very unusual risk to start her first business. It paid off big time. The business in three years worth $100 million. But with Mother's Day just around the corner, I thought it would be great to feature a mom who did something really unconventional, something that most parents probably would not want to do, and where she borrowed money from to start this business, which paid off big time. We'll be talking to her later in the program. And I also want to talk to you about remote workers. We are finding more and more unusual places to work a new survey tells us one third of us are working from this place that may surprise you. Not your bed, not your kitchen table. We're going to talk about that story at the end of the show. When we come back, we are talking tax refunds. Are you one of the millions of Canadians waiting for a tax refund this year? The average amount Canadians are getting back is more than $1,900. Now, it may feel like free money, but it's not. We're going to be joined by a financial planner who's going to help us understand how we should be spending that refund that we get from the federal government. I'm Rabina Ahmad-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Huck. Canada Revenue Agency says they have processed more than 31 million tax returns. And of them, and this is as of April 17th, so this number may have actually gone up, 10 million of them, 10 million of us, are getting a refund. And the average refund, it's pretty it's pretty good, $1,945. Now, if you're one of those people that is getting this money, you may feel like it's a bit of a windfall, especially in a time of rising interest rates, higher cost of living. You know, you get this money, you think, let's do something fun. Let's do something that actually makes us feel good. But that may not be the right approach to using our tax refund. What do we do with that money? And more importantly, what do we avoid doing with it? To answer these questions, we are joined by Kevin Cork. He's a certified financial planner with the Absolute Group in Calgary. Welcome to the program, Kevin. Thanks, Rabina. I'm glad I get to be on to tell people what not to do. Because, you know, yeah, a financial exactly. planner is often the one that has to rain on the parade. But let's leap in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this is true for me when I was in my 20s, especially. I would get that tax refund and I start getting some really crazy ideas of what I'm going to do with it. Usually it involves going out with friends, going on a trip, depending on how much I'm getting back, usually buying a couple of things that don't have any value when you walk out the door. If, if From your point of view, no matter how much refund you're getting, what's the best way to manage that money when you do get it? Well, what I talk to people most about is using it as effectively and as efficiently as possible. So 
what that means is a couple of things. I mean, the two classics are use it to pay down debt or use it to build up uh, your investments, whether it's RSP or, or TFSA. And that is, you know, we hear that all the time. It's not money that, you know, you're getting as a gift from the government. It's a tax that you overpaid and they're now giving that back to you interest-free that they held since January or even longer, depending on how much of a refund you're getting. Uh, but this is a time where cost of living, like I said, is really high. Um, we're dealing with higher interest rates. People's mortgages are becoming unaffordable. Um, would people be wrong to say, I'm just going to tuck some money away so that I can just make life a little bit more manageable when it comes to my finances? I think it's that is an effective use. And again, you know, as long as the money is considered, as long as it's not just tossed onto the credit card that you're constantly overspending on or, you know, uh, talk, tossed into the sort of like cash flow so you can go out for drinks a few more times. Uh, having that kind of stuff sort of have it get lost is, is a bad thing. But in terms of, you know, taking that lump sum and saying, okay, if I put it into the RSP, this is the benefit I get. If I leave, say, $1,000 in a separate savings account, that that's my emergency fund so that I can cover off that chunk of the mortgage. Putting it in the mortgage actually isn't all that satisfying because it doesn't actually change your payments. And, you know, the end result 22 years from now where you see you have you know, two months less is a pretty is pretty cold comfort. The other thing I, I talk to people a lot about or, or talk to people about with uh, a lot of times is in using the cash for something significant. And by that, I mean, actually buying something or okay. spending it on. And again, you don't want to toss it in the money just to go to Cancun for a, for a week of you know unlimited booze. You want to use it, but if you can use it to take your grandparents on a trip or to take your kids to see your grandparents or something that you wouldn't normally do, if you can create an experience around the money, then I'm actually okay with you spending it. Because in the end, all money is for spending. It's just a matter of making sure you're using the money as efficiently as possible. Now, a lot of people, when they get that tax refund, they may not think of it this way, but that's actually bad tax planning in the last year. You're getting this big refund because you paid way too much income tax. What can they do to maybe be a bit more tax efficient this year uh, and to make sure that they're not giving the government money unnecessarily that they then get back in May? Yeah. And it's money that they get back interest-free. And it could be you know, up to like 14 or 15 months that you're because money you put, you know, the money that's deducted off your check in January, you may not get it back until June of next year. So really, it sits there for a year and a half. Um, they they they're using your money interest free. That being said, I'm I'm sort of conflicted about this because for some people, having a forced savings plan run for you by the government isn't actually that bad of an idea. For lots of people who, who you know consistently overspend or constantly in overdraft, those kinds of things, having that forced savings plan isn't, uh, isn't too bad. However, to, to talk about what you're actually talking about, yes, the <laughs> idea would be you go to your employer or if you're, you're self-employed or <clears throat> making quarterly payments, you go back and you say, please deduct less money off my income tax. Here is my tax situation. Here's the money I'm doing into RSPs or pensions. Here's why I'm getting this refund. I would like to have the taxes deducted at source to be reduced. 
Now, the issue with that is that if you miscalculate and you end up owing tax, you'll actually end up owing penalties and fees on top of the money. So it's something you want to be careful about. But if you're consistently getting three or four or $5,000 extra back, you may as well have use of that money first. Now, in a financial planner's dream world, if you have your income tax reduced by $200 a month, for example, you would take that $200 a month and immediately put it into the RSP or the TFSA or you know, the RESP -E for kids, or even any of these new programs developed. But uh, yes, I mean, the, basic, the basic strategy is yes, you want to keep your money for as long as possible. Now let's talk about, you know, you've sort of been uh, alluding to it throughout this conversation, Kevin, about things that we should not be spending this money on. Now that doesn't mean if it does have that intrinsic benefit, like going to see grandma and grandpa, if you haven't seen them for a couple of years because of COVID, that's, that's money well spent, uh, you know, if, if you can afford it and that money doesn't need to be used to pay down, say high interest debt or something else that's really affecting your personal finance situation. But what are some things that you really, if you had a client come in and say, this is where I spent my $5,000 tax refund that you would think that's not a good use of that money. Yeah. And unfortunately we do get a ton of that, of course, because people can't shake the feeling like it's a little mini lottery win and they can't somehow they disconnect themselves from the fact that it's their own money. Uh, the number one thing I tell people about just in, in spending in general is do not go out for drinks and food. Do not go out for drinks and food. If you're going to go out for drinks and food, don't go out for drinks and food. That is the that is the probably the single biggest thing that people fritter money away on. And now again, obviously, if we're talking about an anniversary dinner, that's a different thing. But if you're just I don't feel like cooking, and you just <laughs> drop in at some place and drop fifty bucks or seventy five bucks or a hundred bucks, which is very easy to do, you know, at, at, <laughs> almost everywhere. I mean, it's easy to spend almost fifty dollars at McDonald's. It's just not a good use of your time. And the easiest way to think of it, or what I try to get people to think of it is, if you had to work four hours or 10 hours or a hundred hours to get that refund, would you spend those hundred hours in that restaurant or at that McDonald's working to get that money? Exactly. And if you had that money distributed over 52 weeks or maybe 26 paychecks, uh, if you just took that number, divided it by 26 and you just got that extra on each paycheck, would you spend it the same way? Probably, probably not in my opinion. Right. So it's really just a matter of getting people to put some thought into it and to quit seeing it as a windfall and to see it as either a tool or hopefully something to be reduced going forward. We're speaking to Kevin Cork. He's a certified financial planner with the Absolute Group in Calgary, talking about what we should do with our tax refund if we are getting one. It's not a lottery win. It's not free money from the government. It's not a windfall. It should not be referred to as that way. in that way. It is tax that you overpaid to the government that they're now giving you back, like Kevin said, interest-free. Kevin, just what are some good uh, habits? You know, a lot of us have developed a lot of bad habits during uh, the pandemic, this sort of treat yourself. Uh, I deserve the best. I know I went through a little bit of that too, because, you know, we just all felt like life sucked and we wanted to do something to make ourselves feel good. A lot of this, a lot of our money habits need to be relearned. What's something that you think that we really need to start thinking about again, uh, that maybe we've lost in the last three years when it comes to how we spend and save our money? <laughs> well, in, in general, I think for, for a lot of us, we did start to treat ourselves. 
whether it was like clothes or whether it was going out or whether it was uh, buying things through Amazon, we all felt we deserved little treats. Uh, and the what's buying happened, things course, through Amazon those, was mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. And what happens is you do that what, whatever number of times is the study and it moves from being a treat to, oh, this is what I deserve. I should deserve this every time. I should buy this more expensive scotch. I deserve this. I deserve that. And it's that frittering away of cash. Because, of course, what offset that at the time is that we couldn't go out for food and drink. Um, so if 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 you're you know if you still started if you started to go back out but you're still giving yourself those treats you've actually ramped up your spending for no real net benefit it's the idea of you know at the end of the week how much of your money is 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 have you done something significant with or how much of that money is actually used for something because again you're trading hours of your life to get that stuff do you really want to fritter it away on the mandalorian gift set right I mean, maybe yeah, you do. I, if, if, <laughs> if Mandalorian is important to you, then absolutely. If it's aspirational, then get it. But if it's just something, if it's something whim, don't do it. You know, one thing I've noticed uh, just by being in the grocery store, and I've covered personal finance now for, for 15 plus years, is that people are a lot more careful in what they're picking up. And they're doing, I can see them doing the calculations on their phone of the per unit, which I never saw before. And more and more people are doing things like uh, using apps that help you price match, making sure they get the best value. Uh, and so I think in some ways the last year, because of the cost of living going up so so fast, so so fast, uh, it's sort of forced a lot of us to break those bad habits that we might have started uh, picking up during the beginning of the pandemic when interest rates were still low and we didn't really feel that financial pinch as much. Yeah. And I think that actually has sort of spread across all sort of different financial transactions. Like I think people think a lot more now about interest rates. Like if now that you can start to receive actually some money from your savings account or checking account, it people are becoming much more careful about things. And of course, you can't buy a car for, you know, zero down and zero interest. And you can't, you know, there's a lot of things now where interest rates have started to factor back in. And maybe the upside is that people start to think more about the sort of opportunity cost of doing this versus that. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Uh, you know, lots of sage advice that I think all of us need to be reminded of over and over again. And uh, we can't say it enough that, you know, if you, if you spend more than you earn, you're always going to be in debt. And if that tax refund comes, the last thing you want to do with it is just uh, put it towards your financial situation getting worse rather than doing something like paying down debt, putting in the RSP. Uh, or saving in a rainy day fund, uh, I think those would be the best things that you can do with that cash. Absolutely, Rubina. Thank you. That's, thank you. That's Kevin Cork. He's a certified financial planner with the Absolute Group in Calgary. When we come back, Mother's Day is next week, and we're featuring a mother who took a big risk with her daughter's university fund to start her own business. Would she recommend you do the same? We will talk to her after the break. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. This is for what it's worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Huck. Mother's Day is next weekend, and I wanted to take this opportunity to highlight a mom who really is an inspiration to all of us. She took a big risk four years ago and borrowed money, get this, from her daughter's university fund to start her own business called Love Good Fats. 
The risk in the end was worth it. She was able to grow her business to $100 million in just three years. And now she's looking at starting a second startup. Susie York is the founder of Love Good Fats, and she joins me now. Hi, Susie. I'm excited to be here and love your introduction. So thank you so much. First, tell me, what is Love Good Fats? Tell me what your company is all about. Well, Love Good Fats is my first startup that I started at age 50. And I'm, I'm now starting my second startup uh, six years later, uh, which is 4X Better Chocolate. But let me tell you the story of Love Good Fats because it, it's pretty it's pretty incredible. My mom uh, is very, very proud of me and, and she saw you know the whole path that I followed um, as I decided to, to move from a corporate job and a paycheck to starting becoming an entrepreneur and starting my own company, which I look back now it seems a little bit crazy because I was a single mom, still had a mortgage, had a lot of payments with kids going to university. I took the plunge. It worked out really well. I had the best, you know, five, six years of my life. And now I'm coming back for more. Yeah. And you're starting a second brand, The Better Chocolates. You're a big advocate of uh, sugar-free treats and um, finding healthier ways to have these indulgence uh, when, when, whenever we want them, but in, in a way that doesn't uh, affect our bodies uh, the way a lot of sugar does. But I wanted to just step back for a sec because the way you started your first company is something that a lot of people might think is too risky. You borrowed from your daughter's university. Fund. Tell me about how that idea came up and, and how you sold it to your daughter. I'm going to borrow from your yeah. university fund to start this business. Oh, she's now 23. She just graduated McGill and I don't think she's forgiven me yet. She loved if I if she hears this, she's going to start telling you her own version. I'm still mad at my mom. Um, but, you know, in uh, I did what a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs do and, and more. I think there are more Canadian women entrepreneurs than men now that start up their their companies. And I'm helping with a lot of founders. And certainly there we have more uh, female founders in our group than than men. So I think a lot of it's in our DNA to, to be entrepreneurs. I kind of knew all my career. I started, I graduated engineering. I went to Procter & Gamble in business as my first job and then PepsiCo and Heinz and Weight Watchers. So I had these big corporate uh, multinationals, but my DNA was an intrapreneur. I was, I was bucking the system and I had these big grandiose ideas and I had these ideas of big changes and that doesn't always work in, you know, big corporations, but that I knew I was kind of different with that kind of like, this is 30 years ago now too, that I started. Um, I'm also, you know, later in life lesbian, uh, I'm on the autism spectrum and uh, I'm a French Canadian. Uh, so I had these kind of little differences that I think define me, but I was making my way through, you know, a very, uh, you know, very grateful for an amazing career in marketing. My last jobs, my last 10 years were either VP of marketing or CMO. And I moved to smaller natural brands. So the, you know, call it two to hundred million size of brands in Canada or the U S and that's when I started realizing, you know, in my mid 40s that I think one day I can start a brand because I worked with five or six CEOs mm -hmm. and I was right on their side. I was writing the I was doing the three year strat plan and the P&Ls and the sales plan and the marketing plan, repositioning innovation. So then I had the confidence inside of me to say, look, I've been building brands my whole life. 
I'm now working close to founders and CEOs and I'm, I'm like doing a lot of the stuff. Then they're hiring me. I can do this myself. I just need three things, an idea, money, and time. My kids were older. My health had taken a, a big hit. Um, I'd been, you know, on a low fat diet for 25 years. My, I had IBS, which my tummy was just always upset. And I was, uh, and I had high blood pressure. I had tried to fight it off for, for five years and kind of lost that balance battle. So I had to take, you know, I had to get onto prescription medication and I was like, oh man, I'm doing yoga every day. I'm running, I'm doing Ironmans and I still have these, you know, midlife health issues. So I read a book by Nina Teichel, big fat surprise. Right. And it said, <laughs> we're all doing it all wrong. Like fats are good and sugar's bad. And and that's, that's exactly yep. it. I mean, for so yep. many years, and this is the, I mean, I know this is not exactly speaking to what we have you on today for, which is talking <laughs> to, to mothers who have, have grown these incredible yep. businesses, your business, hundred million dollars in just three years. Yep. But really just, you know, this, the, and I struggle with this myself, these, we get bombarded with messages of what's good for you, what's bad for you. And one, I remember one day I thought to myself, okay, I'm being told these kinds of foods are bad for me. I'm going to try to find the exact same article, uh, article saying the exact opposite. And it didn't take long for me to find that, you know, this vegetable is good for you. And this article says it's terrible for you. You should never yep. eat it. Oatmeal. I, the other day I read oatmeal is bad for you, but of course there's tons of people that will say oatmeal is great for you. Yeah. How do you work through that? Because I'm sure that you've had pushback from people saying, how can this be good for you? And how, you know, how are you, how are you going to sell this to, to a, to a mass audience or to, to, to customers? Well, it was a big, bold move because I was the first brand in North America with the word fats in the brand name, the first brand in North America with the word keto on uh, at Walmart on the on the, the, the we call them the displays, you know, the walk around where there's cardboard around the brand and then there's marketing on the cardboard. And it said, you know, keto, love good fats. Back then it was Susie's Good Fats, keto friendly bars. Uh, and, I, you know, I had done four rounds of research, quick, quick, dirt and, you know, cheap and dirty, because that's kind of my area of expertise, because it was my own mm -hmm. money. And I had, you know, 22% of consumers say I wouldn't buy a brand that had the word fats in the name, because I don't want that showing up in my grocery cart. Like, what are people going to think? So I definitely was moving towards a brand with a lot of tension. But that was part of if you want to break through with a brand, that was part of the secret sauce. Now, the bars were, were and are delicious. They're the first nutritional bars that melt in your mouth because fat makes everything taste great. So now I had lots of fat. I had no sugar. You don't need sugar when you have fat. You don't need it as sweet anyway. There's nothing artificial. So I had this incredible product that you know was melting and there's all like, that's a whole other podcast on how hard they were to make. But with the right name at the right time, uh, Keto and low carb diets were just, you know, make like there's 10 books written right after Nina's book. So I kind of rode that wave with a delicious brand. Everyone who was hearing about low carb and keto associated the name good fats with, oh, it must be keto friendly because the ketogenic diet is 85% fats. So mm -hmm. I had this benefit of kind of 
having a brand that, you know, hits all of the three P's, the product, the positioning and the price value. And then boom, there was a massive need for, uh, for trying something different to be healthier. If you switch to, you know, a lower carb and a keto diet, you, you can, and we know you can get reversal diabetes, you can lose weight pretty quickly. So, wow, like a lot of people were having massive changes in their health, myself included, I was able to get off my um, heart medications and my IBS medications by just, you know, eliminating sugar and reduce increasing my fats back, like right Mm -hmm. away, I started eating fats and reducing my carbs. So, you know, I just was a great convenient product at the right time. And it, it just took off, you know, our first year was 8 million, which is smashing records already in Canada. And then the second year was 47. And, and then we had some headwinds with, um, with COVID, you know, it's not all uh, the kind of Cinderella story. Like, uh, we definitely have had our fair share of issues, like prior to launching it, the bars are hard to make. And then since and, then, and Susie, you're a big advocate of, of, uh, of promoting women just like you mothers, just like you, who, mm-hmm. you know, we, w- the one thing I find with mothers who become entrepreneurs is that we are living, breathing, um, our, our days with our kids and we see the problems that exist. You know, if I had this tool or if I had this resource, or if I had, you know, we always are thinking if only I had this, my life would be easier. So it's in a sense, we're always in the market testing what could work, what could work. And a lot of these ideas come from moms just uh, putting something together that worked in their lives and thinking, you know what, I think other moms might appreciate this too. Uh, Mabel's Labels is one of the oh. best examples. Yes, I mean, that, that, yeah. that is something that's just just made life so easy. No yep. more, you know, marking your kids' lunchboxes with yep. Sharpie. You've got the sticker and my daughter's lunchbox going on four years it's never come off there we go so, my kids uh, yeah, yeah both exactly yeah, and, and so, yeah. I wanted to ask you like what is the you know what what inspires you now to help other women uh, you know especially with the spirit of thinking about Mother's Day being just around the corner yeah well part of what I uh, you know I stepped out of the love good fat CEO role we had you know we're this big multi-million dollar brand my former boss from Weight Watchers stepped in and then I I just decided to start giving back while I was looking for my next role. And I founded kind of by accident, Founders Helping Founders in Canada. And then I met, you know, my partner and decided I need to change the world with better chocolates and and kind of get the message out again, that, you know, cacao and chocolate used to be healthy. And uh, we we messed it up. But now you can kind of go back to feeling good about eating healthy chocolate. So that's kind of my current startup. But the Founders Helping Founders has been game changer for me in terms of both giving back and then getting back exactly what you're saying. Like we're a group of about 200, nearly a hundred super active. We're on WhatsApp every day. We have monthly meetings uh, and get togethers. And it's again, primarily women, but there's, there's a lot of men in our group, but there's a lot of women entrepreneurs. Mostly all of them are our moms. And it, it really is super energetic. Anyone who wants to join, just DM me on LinkedIn and, and we'll add you. It's pretty, uh, pretty easy. And it really is about sharing and giving back. We have uh, mostly all smaller startups, not, you know, not necessarily big kind of huge successful exit companies. And we're all kind of in the same phase. We're juggling our kids. We're juggling our parents. We're juggling cash flow. We have, you know, partners at home. We are time strapped. Then we had to deal with COVID. 
we're juggling with all the big issues that were in the news again this weekend, you know, the larger, you know, grocery chains and how, how it's hard for us startups to mm-hmm. try to make ends meet. And, and that's, you know, that's been in, in the news since COVID with the price increases and the cost of goods going up. And, uh, you know, we get squeezed in the middle, our costs go up and uh, our, our, everything costs more to, tr- you know, we're just trying to get a brand on the shelf all of us have unique, unique brands that are meeting needs that none of the multinationals have. And that's why, you know, that's why we're getting on the shelves. So it's- No, Susie, your story is inspiring. Your product, it sounds delicious. I'm definitely going to uh, get my hands on some uh, next time I'm out or order it online. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Uh, And just inspiring, you know, there may be a mom right now listening who's got a great idea is worried about, you know, uh, not being able to pay for things uh, like like you did. You took you yep. took from your daughter's university fund to, to, to fund your business, but they may be worried that that's just too much of a risk. But this is proof that sometimes uh, without no risk, there is no reward. Exactly. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Betterchocolates.ca or .com. Thanks. Thanks again. <laughs> Wonderful. That's Susie York. She's founder of Love Good Fats. We wanted to feature uh, a mother, an entrepreneur that really does inspire uh, all women, all mothers to really think about maybe you have some idea that you would like to turn into a business. And being a mom, sometimes we have so much going on in our lives and it's so difficult to think, how can I carve out this extra time? But Susie York is proof that you can do it. But again, taking a lot of risk there. I thought that story was really in, in, interesting and inspiring. I'm going to use both um, ta- borrowing from her daughter's university fund to fund her business. When we come back, we're going to talk about remote employees. It's a new survey that reveals that a third of workers are working in this very unusual location. No, it's not your bed. It's not your kitchen table. I'll fill you in when we come back. I'm Rubina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Hawk. That brings us to the end of our program. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in for the last hour. I hope you got something out of those conversations. I think the tax refund story is the one I really want to highlight because it is money that we often tend to be a little bit irresponsible with, even more so than end of year bonuses or maybe money that you get because uh, you got a raise at work. We tend to treat that money differently because we've got the tools to do it. We know that if you get a raise, the first thing that you should do, at least this is what you should do is increase your savings, maybe pay down some debt, put some money away for a rainy day. But that money that comes from the CRA, it can sometimes feel like a little bit of a gift. And it really isn't. Even though we are well aware that it's income tax that we overpaid, most of us get wild ideas of what to do with the money. I am included in that group. I know in my 20s, especially when I got a tax refund, uh, especially when I was working in jobs that weren't paying that well, and every dollar really made a difference. I always thought, ooh, I could do something fun. I could go on holiday. I could go out for dinner. I could go buy these shoes I want, or I could go buy this outfit I've been eyeing. And I did a bit of that. I think all of us are guilty of that. But the smartest thing that you can do is put that money back into your RRSP, kickstart your retirement savings or your long-term savings, as I often like to call it. And if you have high interest debt, so credit card debt, 
you need to pay that down first because that's costing you a lot. I'm not a big fan of putting lump sum uh, mortgage payments using your tax refund. And Kevin Cork, our financial planner, uh, put it very clearly. It's because there's really no difference in your cash flow situation. So that money, you're not going to really see how it helped you from a personal finance perspective until you get to the end of your mortgage, which could be 20 years from now. So there's no gratification. You know, I mean, I'm a big believer in delayed gratification, but that's just a little too long, having to wait 20 years to see how that two, $3,000 lump sum payment that you put on your mortgage. What you could do is you could increase your payments by a small amount so it doesn't hurt you too much financially, maybe save that money and have that money uh, going into your mortgage, that 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 might make you feel better that you are putting money towards your mortgage. But the number one thing you could do, pay down high interest debt or put it back into the RRSP. And you know, I'm not always going to be a Scrooge about this money. If you wanted to take a little bit and do something fun, go out for dinner, maybe buy that, like I said, pair of shoes that you have had your eye on. If you use like 10 to 15% of the refund on something fun, I don't think that anyone would think that was a bad idea, but use the majority of it to actually improve your financial wellness because that's really what this money should be used for. Now, before the break, I was talking about remote work and how we are changing the way that we work, how we work. A new survey finds that one in three employees admit that they have worked from their car. So this could be maybe running an errand, you got to run into the car to do a Zoom call, or you're just planning on uh, getting a head start to your vacation, maybe your road trip that you're going on, you're thinking, I'll just work from the car while we are driving so that we you know, kill two birds with one stone, as they say, maybe your partner's driving and you're still at work. All of that I have done all of that. I've ran in from the grocery store to do a Zoom call, uh, sometimes pretty important ones. I've cut my workday short and worked from the car while my husband drives because I know I can still stay online. Technology has made it easier. I don't think there's anything wrong with working from your car, but I do think it's interesting that more and more of us are finding uh, unique ways to get our work done, how we're folding it into our personal lives, folding it into our um, everyday lives. Of So we're getting our personal stuff done and getting our work done at the same time because we've got the power right in our hands, right? Right in our smartphone. But this survey that was done by one poll for Office Depot found that Canadians are finding different ways uh, to get work done. 8% of those surveyed said they've actually worked from a beach. So to me, that means they've taken their laptop on holiday and said, you know what, I can still get a couple of days of work done. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think when you go on holiday, you shut it all down, you enjoy your holiday, you stay present with whatever's happening. Otherwise, just come back feeling exhausted because you've traveled, which is exhausting on its own, and you've worked while you were there and you didn't get the uh, benefit of just being in the sun, being on the beach. So those 8% of people, I think, are not using their time wisely, but it's interesting to see that many of us are taking our work on holiday, working from the beach. Uh, this is a survey that was in of 2,000 people of uh, entirely remote work workers or almost entirely work remote workers and how the pandemic has really changed the way uh, they work and how they work. Uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, the, the answers would be, well, I've worked from a hotel, I've worked from a friend or family's home, I've worked from a coffee shop. You know, you go into a coffee shop and you see many people sort of, you see, you can see that they've been there for hours working away on their computers. Well, not, that doesn't seem to be uh, the, the place of choice to work from anymore. Uh, we want to work from places that make it convenient for us. And sometimes it's, it's the car, right? 
It's easy to jump in the car and take a call where it's quiet. The acoustics are great in a car. This comes from someone who's done radio for 20 plus years. So if you're in the car, you're going to get great acoustics as well. And uh, you can still get out of the car and get something done. Maybe you need to pick up your kids from school or you need to, to post something. Do people post things anymore? Whatever it is that you need to do, you can be closer to it and not have to do that travel time after your call is done. Uh, a lot of interesting uh, tidbits coming out of that conversation about tax refunds. And I really enjoyed also our conversation with Susie Cork talking about how she really did go all in on starting her business by borrowing from her daughter's university fund to start her first business, which she then grew to $100 million. Now, I am not going to give the impression that it's easy to start a business and grow it to $100 million. But what I think we can take from that, especially as mothers, as parents, as those who feel overwhelmed, is sometimes the risk is what we need to get that reward. We will be back next week, same time, same channel. Thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Thanks to Bilal Masri, our technical producer. Have a great weekend. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. This is for what it's worth.